Let's read the passage in front of us this morning. John chapter 1, uh, verses 9 through 14. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. I'd like you to make sure that you keep your Bibles open there to that passage. I'm not going to have those, uh, those words up there again. We'll be looking at some other passages, but we're going to be camping out in John chapter 1, mostly. Barrow, Alaska sits 320 miles north of the Arctic Circle. If you look on a map, which I did last night, it's at a little teeny point of land at the furthermost, northernmost point of Alaska. Residents there right now are sitting in darkness. In fact, they're not going to see the sun for another full month. Let that sink in. Every year, for 65 days, total darkness. Scientists call it polar night, but residents, locals there, call it endless night. Well, what happens to humans when we don't have access to light, when we live in prolonged darkness, prolonged night, in fact, in sub-zero temperatures? Well, psychologists call this a seasonal affective disorder, SAD. Uh, we talk about that even here in the Pacific Northwest, but not to the degree that they experience it in Barrow. Uh, this is a, a condition triggered by extended light deprivation. Some symptoms seem harmless, uh, like an urge to sleep longer, uh, craving carbohydrates, uh, gaining weight, uh, the, the kind of things we can kind of normally relate to. But other symptoms raise alarming concerns. Uh, low to moderate grade depression, increase in suicides, divorce, and substance abuse. In fact, Barrow has the highest a percentage, highest rate in the nation. Prolonged exposure to darkness hurts us. We need light in order to live. Fortunately, God knows this. In Genesis uh, chapter 1, verse 3, we read, uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right out of the gate, in God's revelation, he begins to address this need for light. Why? Because the earth was without form and void. In fact, darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then here's verse 3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. What are some benefits of light? I, I would encourage you to think about that this week and maybe even talk about it with your family, maybe even discuss it over uh, Christmas dinner later this week. Some of the benefits of light. Let me just give you a quick list that I came up as I was thinking about it throughout the week. Light brings warmth. 
Light brings comfort. Light heals. In fact, I don't know if you can see this. It's really, really small. Um, laser light. Laser light actually concentrated can bring healing. Light produces growth. We see that in the plant world. Light sustains. Light clarifies what we see in front of us. Light sometimes exposes what's going on in the darkness. Light can alert to danger. You might have a uh, security or safety lights at your house. We do in the backyard, motion sensitive. And as, as we'll learn later, and as we know already, according to the last book of the Bible, light wins. I'd like you to think about some of those benefits of light throughout the week and think in terms of in what ways does Jesus live out those, those benefits of, of light? The reason for that is because we're going to make a connection this morning. In fact, John's going to make it for us in this first chapter of John that Jesus is in fact that light. The Old Testament word for light occurs 122 times in those first 39 books of our Bible. So it's an important concept. I'd like us to, to look at uh, just one of those passages right now. In fact, you can keep your finger in John and turn back to Isaiah. I know that many of the ladies in our church are reading through Isaiah, so you may have already come across this. Now I've simply put up on the screen uh, four words, two phrases, that uh, jump off the page as I read through these, these verses. Isaiah 8, through 9, 2. This is a, a pronouncement of future restoration after God brings judgment. God is speaking to his people of Israel and he's speaking through the prophet Isaiah. And he says in the last verse of chapter eight, they will look to the earth, but behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. The word there for thick darkness is used elsewhere in scripture. The most prominent use is in Exodus 10, 22, when Moses calling God's people out from under Pharaoh's bondage, uh, we read that there, for three days, there was thick darkness throughout the land of Egypt. You remember that story? That's what's referenced here as well. Uh, that God's people, because of their sin, are gonna be thrust into thick darkness. And then the first verse of chapter one gives a wonderful prophetic uh, reference to someone who's gonna be coming in the future, someone who's gonna be coming out of the, the region of Galilee. But what I want us to focus on is, is, in, is in verse two. Because in verse two, we read about a great light. Verse two says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness on them light has shone. Just to apply this already to our situation, don't you feel like we live in a land of deep darkness? I know I do. If you spend, or maybe the better term is waste, uh, any time on social media, you can see that, you can feel that, you can taste it almost, the, the deep, uh, intense, thick darkness. And so this promise that's given in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, that a great light is coming who will shine on the people who, who dwell in a land of deep darkness, we're going to see that John interprets that 
fulfills that prophecy because Jesus is in fact this great light. Jesus is in fact this great light for the world. I purposely changed that, uh, that term there as opposed to the light of the world. Jesus calls himself that, but we're going to see this morning that he, he's not only that, but he is light, a great light for the world. In a sense, that's the, in my view, the biggest uh, point or the biggest idea coming out of this text. And I want to jump to something which I'm going to mention again at the end of, of this message, and that is I want to reference how this connects to what ultimately what Jesus came into this world to do as that light. You remember at his crucifixion at Golgotha, the sun stopped shining, right? There was great darkness across the land. When God judged his son on that cross, the sun stopped shining. It was, it was as if thick darkness had swallowed up Jesus. Think about that. Covered in darkness, uh, cursed, hanging on that tree, Jesus was our substitute, was he not? He was there in place of us. But then we know the rest of the story, three days later, he broke out of the darkness of death, out of the tomb, and into the marvelous light of the resurrection. And in doing so, he became for us our righteousness, and he is able then to give us life. In essence, that's the bottom line of what John is going to be talking about here in the verses we're going to look at. Well, to complement the Old Testament uses of light, the New Testament also has a word for light, and it occurs uh, 72 times. And in fact, we get our word photography or photo from that light, from that, that New Testament word. I'd like to look at some of those today, specifically out of the Gospel of John in beginning here, John chapter 1. And there's three simple points that I want you to remember as a result of this morning's message. The first one is this. As light, Jesus creates life. Let's look again at the passage, but before we look again at verse 9, we need to back up a little bit. Of course, John gives a great prologue or introduction to this gospel in the first verse. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And in fact, the Word was God. And then in verse 2, the Word is given a personal pronoun, He. He was in the beginning with God. So suddenly we, we recognize that there's this concept or this Word idea that was part of creation and was in fact God, and now suddenly He's identified as a person. Verse 2, He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Look at the next two verses, because they're key to understanding that Jesus creates life. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. See the connection? Jesus as light brings life. He actually creates light, life. He gives life as a result of being the light. Verse 5, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Light and darkness in John's portrayal um, are not simply opposites. In fact, darkness is nothing other than the absence of light, right? At creation, darkness was over the surface of the deep until God said, let there be light. 
in fact, at creation, that was truly the most appropriate time to say the light shines in darkness. So right out of, at the very beginning of human history, God is, is introducing this concept, this need for light to shine in darkness. John takes the concept of darkness, though, and he extends it a little bit further. It's not simply the absence of light, but rather, as John portrays it throughout the rest of his gospel, darkness actually is a portrayal of, of evil, of the actual substance of evil. And that comes throughout, and we'll see that a little bit as we kind of walk our way through this passage. But look with me back now at verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. This true light was coming into the world. That means that in some way, this is distinct from what we saw in Genesis. It's distinct from creation. In Genesis, the light is, is bound up. The revelation of light is bound up in the concept of creation. But here in John, light goes beyond that. It goes beyond creation. It goes to salvation. It goes to redemption. It goes to God saving his people. Not just creating his people, but now saving his people. I'm going to give you some verses that you can jot down and you can look up later. And I'd really encourage you to do that. Because I'm just going to read portions of several verses here. But if you look at these verses within their larger context, uh, so much more jumps off the page. So much more makes sense, and you'll be able to connect the dots, so to speak. So just jot these verses down. Let me read portions of them to you, and then you can look at them later today. John 8, verse uh, 12. Jesus is speaking here and says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The context here is fascinating because this comes directly on the heels of Jesus interacting with a woman who had been caught in adultery and who had been brought to him by the religious leaders. Remember that story? And Jesus dealt with them in an amazing way. They disperse, and then Jesus deals with her, tells her to sin no more, and then turns to his disciples who are still standing around there and says this verse, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Another great passage, just four chapters later, is John chapter 12, verse 46. Jesus says, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Again, the context is significant here because this comes right after uh, Andrew bring, and Philip bring some Greeks, non-Jews, to Jesus, and they're seeking Jesus. They want to know who this Jesus person is. And, and so Jesus launches into this discourse in which he is essentially is saying to them, whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. You, you see the connection? He's not just now talking to his people, his chosen people, the people of Israel. He's even talking to these non-Jewish Greek people. Hallelujah for that, because I'm, I fall in that camp. I'm, I don't have any Jewish blood in me as far as I know, right? I am a Gentile, 100%. And so uh, 
Jesus is saying he's come into the world as light, but not just for the nation of Israel. He's come into the world so that whoever believes in him may not remain in darkness. So again, this first point, very simple, as light, Jesus creates life. And the analogy of actual physical light that we see and we experience every day creating life is a great reminder of that. And it was intended to do so. Creation itself speaks to salvation. As light, Jesus creates life. A second point that I want to leave with you this morning is, as light, Jesus guides our life. Look again at verses 9, 11, and 12. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And then verse 11, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. In verse 9, what, what John means by this saying that light is coming into the world, giving light to everyone. Uh, what that means, what that, that term to give light, what it literally means is to shed light upon. In fact, the, the primary root meaning of that single word that Jesus uh, is using, uh, that John is using there, is, is to shed light upon, um, or in other words, to make visible, or to bring something to light. Well, in John's Gospel, that idea gets repeated over and over and over again. In fact, John uses the concept of shedding light on something, specifically on everyone, Jew and Gentile alike. He uses it to force a distinction. Here's an example. In John chapter 3, verses 19 through 21, you'll recognize that that's right on the heels of John 3.16 where Jesus is having a conversation with a Pharisee, with Nicodemus, and he's, he's explaining to him, and he says, for God so loved the world, right? John 3, 16, and then of course 17. Here, beginning in verse 19, Jesus goes on to say, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because, why? Because their works were evil. Because what they were doing in the darkness was evil, so they didn't want to get exposed, which is, again, one of the benefits of light. Verse 20, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Another passage in, uh, in John's Gospel here as well is found once again back in chapter 12. Again, Jesus is speaking in, in response to the fact that Greeks are, have come seeking him. And so in this discourse, he says this as well. The light is among you for a little while longer. So walk while you have the light. The, the, the term for walk, and it's a, it's a really rich word. It has the idea of, of literally taking one step after the other around something. It's used throughout uh, the New Testament. The Apostle Paul loves to use that term. Jesus here is saying that walk, therefore, while you have this light, 
lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. That's why we use flashlights, right? That's why I, I can't walk down our property late at night because we don't have any lights back there without a flashlight. Otherwise, I'm going to stumble. I'm not going to be able to find my way. Jesus says in verse 36, While you have the light, believe in the light, or put your trust in that light, that you may become sons of light. Well, John picks up this theme in one of his other books, his first letter that he writes after he's written the gospel. And in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5-7, through 7, he says this, This is the message we have heard from him, and we proclaim it to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Can you, can you hear him? Can you see him reflecting what he had heard Jesus teaching as John had stood there listening? If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk around in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Boy, but do, do we not need that message today? Even in our churches, do we not need that? Do we not want that? to be in fellowship with one another? Well, how is that possible? Well, it's possible if we walk in the light as he is in the light. If we simply step, uh, order the steps of our lives every day in the light of our relationship with Jesus. Uh, that still may not be practical enough for you, though. You might be still be thinking, yeah, but well, that's great, Tim, okay. But uh, how do I do this? Well, there's multiple answers for how to do that, but I simply want to call your attention to Psalm 119, longest chapter in the Old Testament, and almost every verse in that psalm I could have gone to, but let me just call to your attention a couple. You may have memorized verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Guess what? This is one of the best ways to walk in the light, right? This is like a flashlight. This is like a I don't know, a 2,000 lumen LED flashlight, super, super bright, and it's going to give us direction. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 130, the unfolding of your words give light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I'm a simple guy. I'm, fortunately, uh, God's word imparts wisdom, imparts understanding to someone even like me. And then to, to go back to Isaiah, since again, since many of the women in the, in the congregation are, are reading through Isaiah, Isaiah 60, the first three verses, is, is again a wonderful compliment to everything that's been said here. <clears throat> Arise, shine, <clears throat> excuse me, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness, there's that word again, Thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. How many of you know what a luminary is? Anybody know what a luminary is? Have any of you ever had luminaries in your front yard? Yeah? I don't see anybody raising a hand. Cindy, I see you. Okay, very good. Thank you very much. All right. Luminaries are those little, um, like, lunch-sized paper sacks, and you put about an inch of sand in the bottom and then put a little votif candle in there, and then 
very gingerly uh, try to light it without setting the bag ablaze. <laughs> we used to use them a lot when we lived in Colorado. In the snow, they were beautiful, and we would light a path up to our front door. We haven't done it here in the Northwest because the bag would just get wet and just kind of fall over. It wouldn't be that useful. But just yesterday afternoon, I was having a conversation with our youngest daughter, and she asked me about that. It wasn't part of my sermon. She, she said, Dad, do you remember those, what were they called? Luminaries. And because and, she's thinking about putting some on her driveway down in, in California. And I thought, oh, that's a great connection. Because what luminaries do is, is they light a welcome path to your front door. That, and, and it's kind of a tradition at Christmas. And in a sense, that's, that's what, what this text is saying here, too. As light, that's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is lighting that path. He's guiding our lives. He's guiding the steps of our lives. As light, Jesus guides our life. Well, the third and final point that I want to make, and again, you can tell, this message is very simple. Because the message of John chapter 1 is very simple. It's very straightforward. As light, Jesus reveals God's glory. Let's look at verse 14. And the Word became flesh. Now, suddenly, this Word that was mentioned up in the first couple of verses, who was identified as a person there in verse 3, now suddenly, this Word person has become flesh. In fact, He's dwelt among us. John uses a rich term there. It's a term that we could translate tabernacled. He tabernacled among us. He, as the tabernacle was in the midst of God's people in the wilderness, that's the word that's used here. This word actually became flesh and tabernacled among us, and we've seen his glory. And remember, John saw the glory of Jesus on Mount Transfiguration. He was one of those three disciples that was able to witness that side of Jesus' character that he had not seen. It had been veiled. We've seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. As light, Jesus reveals God's glory. We see the glory in the Incarnation. Christmas, we're celebrating the incarnation, the coming in flesh, right, of Jesus. And in doing so, he is demonstrating, he is uh, revealing, he is pulling back the curtain, so to speak, on the glory of God. We sang about that this morning. Hark the herald angels sing. That, that great lyric in there, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. John's point here is that the Word who came into the world is the light, the true light, the genuine article, uh, the ultimate self-disclosure of God to man. That's who Jesus is. And as light, that's what he's doing. He's bringing life. He's guiding our life. But bottom line, most importantly, He's revealing who God is. He's revealing the glory of God. Last Sunday, we sang the song, Arrival. Such rich lyrics. I'd never heard that song until we came here to, to New Life Church. Let me just uh, repeat a few of those. 
Who is God that he would take our frame, the artisan inside the paint, or breathe the very air his breath sustains, the architect inside the plan? Oh, come now, hail his arrival, the God of creation. Royalty robed in the flesh he created? Jesus, the maker, has made himself known. All hail the infinite, infant God. Isn't that great? Isn't that rich? Don't you just love that? When we can sing the reality of this incarnation of who Jesus is and what he's doing as light revealing God's glory. This is not a new concept that was just written by a hymn writer. It's, it's found in multiple places in, throughout the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 1, the writer to the Hebrews in verse 3 says this, He, speaking of Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he, in fact, upholds the universe by the word of his power. Or how about the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 to 15? giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. Doesn't that sound like that thick darkness in the Old Testament? He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Again, let me just put those two verses up there and you can make a note of that and look at it later. One final reference from the Apostle Paul, and this is one of the, the richest, one of the most beautiful. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 6. Paul says, Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You see how Paul puts that all together? Everything that John's been saying to us this morning, Paul kind of summarizes. Verse 5, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. And then I want you to see this, verse 6. In fact, this is going to end up being our benediction a little bit later this morning as well. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Isn't that great? Doesn't that perfectly summarize what John is, is, is showing us here in John chapter 1? Well, truly, Jesus is this great light for the world. And when you stop and think about it, there's, there's something here this morning for everyone, right? As light, Jesus creates life. Are you sitting here this morning um, dying in the dark, so to speak? Then I encourage you to do what John says in verse 12 to receive him, to believe in his name, and then you'll have the right to become children of God. Uh, that word receive literally means to, to aggressively, intentionally lay hold of something, to grasp something, to seize it, and then to believe in that, to place your full trust in that. 
If you're dying in the dark, that's the answer. Why? Because Jesus brings and creates life. Jesus guides our life, right? As light, Jesus guides our life. Have you stumbled? I know I have. I've stumbled in the dark. I've stumbled into darkness in the past. What's the solution to that? Well, again, it's very clear in God's Word. In fact, John makes it very clear in 1 John chapter 1. We confess. We say the same thing about our stumbling as God has said about it. That's what confession is. And then we repent. We turn around. We have a change of thinking. We turn in the opposite direction and go the other way. Why? Because as light, Jesus is our guide and will guide us out of the darkness. And then finally, as light, Jesus reveals God's glory. And he does that to us, but then he does that through us to a dying world living in darkness. Well, the final occurrence of light in the New Testament is found actually in the final book. In fact, it's found in the final chapter, Revelation chapter 22 and verse 5. After the first four verses of that last chapter, where there's a great description of of what John is being shown by an angel about uh, the different elements of heaven, there's a river with the water of life, it's bright as crystal, and he goes on and on and on for four verses, but then he gets to verse 5, Revelation 22, 5, and he says this, And night will be no more. Darkness dispelled forever. They will need no light of of lamp or the sun. Why? For the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. If I was given this message in Barrow, Alaska right now, (laughs) boy, what... What joy, what hope, right, would that bring? Well, you know what? We're all living in the midst of a barrow like Alaska, are we not? What joy, what hope to look forward to that someday in God's presence, he himself will be our light and we will reign forever and ever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the Uh, the amazing truth of your word here this morning. Just simple, uh, clear verses out of John's gospel, yet they resonate with us. They speak so clearly to us because we need life, and only you can bring that, Jesus. So, Father, if there are people here this morning in the sound of my voice that don't know you, don't have that relationship with you, then, Father, I plead with you that you would work through the power of your Holy Spirit to draw men and women, young and old, to yourself, that we might experience life. Lord, I pray too for those of us that stumble along the way. We we have life in you, yet we make mistakes. We sin. We stumble. Lord, I pray that, again, as light, that you would guide us. You would guide us through the darkness. And then finally, Father, our prayer is that Just as you reveal the glory of God, Lord Jesus, I pray that through us you would do the same, would reveal your glory to a lost and dying world, dying in darkness. Father, that's our prayer. As we continue in our worship now, uh, through singing, uh, we just offer this up to you in thankfulness that you are 
this great light for the world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.